You're listening to Conversations of Inspiration with Ben Moore and Scott Gunn on the EXP podcast. The show that brings you expert insights from those who have had an exponential impact on their industries. They say that success leaves footprints. So take a walk with us as we explore all things growth, business and mindset every Monday from 7am. Sit back, relax and enjoy today's show. Three, two, one. Hello, buddy. Hello, Ben. How's it going? Yeah, I'm very well, mate. I just realised, though, as I've turned on the camera for our chat today, I look a bit like a traffic light. Thankfully, <laughs> I've not got my red socks on, but my bright yellow hat and my green T-shirt. I'm feeling vibrant, my friend. How are you? Uh, no, the opposite, Ben. I'm feeling very tired. I'm feeling exhausted, and I'm in a terrible mood. Oh, and I don't know why. Ideal for a podcast, then, Scott. Listen. Oh, no, mate. I, I, <laughs> I met a friend for breakfast this morning at Weatherspoons and I drove there. And when I got there, he's like, how you doing? I'm like, everybody I've seen today has irritated me, which probably means the problem is me. I suspect. But yeah, <laughs> I'll liven up. <laughs> I'll liven up. I've got a cup of tea in front of me and I'm just eating an apple. So let's see. We'll be all right in 10 minutes. Well, stay tuned, guys, because it sounds like today is going to be a cracker. <laughs> I'll be going, and another thing that pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, mate, just focus on getting that caffeine down you, and I'm sure you'll be all right in a, yeah. in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so today's podcast then, Scott, we are going to address some FAQs, really. So yeah. some questions that we've got from agents inside and outside of EXP. I always kind of think there's value in doing episodes like this, mate, just because, and I say the same to agents who are considering how to get content ideas for their customer-facing social media channels. The best questions are the ones that your sort of avatar is asking you, right? So if one person on a viewing um, cares to ask you a question about mortgages, then you can bet your bottom dollar that there'll be hundreds, if not thousands of people in your local area who are wondering the same thing. They've just not put their head above the parapet. So it makes sense to therefore do a piece of content based on that particular mortgage question to distribute to your social media, to place yourself as a bit of an authority. And it's not different for me and you in what we do in sort of helping and coaching and, and mentoring estate agents if one person cares enough to ask a question then you'd like to think there are many more people out there who are wondering the same thing so um really hoping that there's some golden nuggets and some value in amongst the questions that we're going to go through today and um we'll put the spotlight on you scott if you want to kick off with the question that kind of got brought to your attention this week yeah and i think the questions for me were chosen questions that made me think like you say if the answer isn't obvious you know we 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 kind of know what everybody's big questions are going to be so all the content we've put out in the past has been around answering those but everybody has these unique set of little questions you know what do I wear as an agent and that kind of thing where you think okay we haven't covered that necessarily so um the first question was from an exp agent and and this is one that will be this will be reasonably common across all all startup agencies um, and the first question was that when I started my business I lowered my fees to gain instructions and that now that my business is the reputation is growing and I've proven it to be successful I want to nudge my fees up a bit how do I do that yeah I think that's an interesting one I mean I guess before we go into the nooks and crannies of that question, Scott, what's your opinion on, because I know that this sort of divides opinions sometimes, when people launch, I think more often than not, they've got this expectation on themselves that they need to charge bottom dollar. The fees have to be low because they've got no proof of concept. Do you think that that's necessarily the case? Or do you think people can come in from day one and charge 
full whack and what they want to be charging long-term coming out the traps. What, what are your views on that? I think if, if, if my advice was going back to somebody's day one, personally, it would be don't drop your fees in the first place. Um, whether or not necessarily you can go in with a real premium fee, I don't know. I think there are agents, if your reputation locally is strong enough, where you would be able to do that. Um, but just charge a reasonable fee. You know, for me, I just chose a fee that I was comfortable with, which was in and around 1.25%. You know, I've, I've charged that on every house I've sold. And I, I would say, I would say, you need to decide what fee you want as an average fee before you start. And then you've got a guide. So for me, I worked out that I wanted to earn £10,000 a month. I worked out that I wanted to sell four houses a month. So I worked my fee back from that. Mm-hmm. But I do think personally, I would avoid doing the, the lower fee initially. Yeah, I think, and I agree though, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do this because I've seen agents, I know we've mentioned his name a couple of times now, there's more examples, but it's just always the first person that springs to mind. Kirk, so I sold Kirk's flat in Preston for him. As soon as we sold it, he moved up to the Lake District, fresh market, no customers, no social proof, no database, no nothing. And he went straight in at this sliding fee scale at million pound plus properties charging between one and a half and 3% depending on the performance. Um, And I think that when you are, or when you do successfully make that paradigm shift in your own head, that you're only going to deal with five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10 listings, whatever that number may be, it takes off a bit of pressure. So you don't feel as though you have to close absolutely every appointment that you sit in front of. And I think if you go in with that sort of mindset, with a value-led product, understanding that it's going to be volume restricted, it takes off a bit of pressure and you can hold your ground a bit more and do higher fees. But having said that, I don't think there's any harm with reducing your fee if it is that it's a make or break as to whether or not you're going to get that instruction. I think the best advice that I can give is have the fee in your head that you want to charge, the fee that represents the value that you're going to give to that client. And if it is that you're going to lose the instruction over fee in the early stages, maybe have that flexibility to give discretionary discount if you have to don't go in thinking oh my god i need to close this opportunity therefore yeah. i'm going to drop my fee to a thousand pound before you've even really had to do that if that makes sense because i know a lot of the time in my first couple of months of trading because i felt that pressure rightly or wrongly to get listings yeah. um that was misguided in terms of me focusing on giving a fee-driven service rather than a service-driven products to the customer if that makes sense so i think yeah. it's definitely important that anyone who's doing that has an understanding of where the fees need to be and tries to stick to it i think i think and and another good by having the i think you should have the fee that you want in your mind before you go in as well i think you should have a target in your mind because i, I know a lot of agents that and i've been here before i'm casting my mind back it's hard to remember my first few valuations to be honest with you but I think by having a fixed fee in my mind, it, it, it kind of removes that panic. I mean, have you ever been sat in evaluation when you've worked for another agency and someone, you know, the fee question's coming, but you haven't really thought about your answer before they ask it. I know I have. And then suddenly mm-hmm. they say, oh, what's your fee? And you go, uh, and, and just whatever comes out your mouth is what comes out your mouth. I think it's really important to have some idea. Having said that, I think it will, regardless, it will be a common question that people just can't help themselves and they will discount their fees for a period of time i think it's it's just too tempting when you first start there will be a lot of people that do that and i think to to answer the question about how you nudge up your fees if you've been charging a discounted fee to get yourself going now you've got to the point where the money's coming in you think god i wish that fee was a bit higher so you want to charge more next time my 
the question says, how do I nudge my fees up a bit? I actually think you don't do that. I don't think it should be gradual. I think you just, I think it's revolution, not evolution. And you change overnight. You just, you, you reset your fee. And as of, as of today, your fee is at the new amount that you feel you're worth. Yeah. And I think, I think there's two points here, mate. I think that fee is a bigger issue in our mind, in our own perception than it is in the customers in reality. And I think the second thing is that a big part of getting higher fees is just having the confidence to pitch that and quote it and close it with complete confidence. If you're going in very shaky, Oh, well, it's uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's 2%, but um, you know, for the first five instructions this month and you go on this flaky little sales pitch of negotiating fees it just comes across like a limp handshake i think if you go in and say yep so that's 1.5 percent plus vat so 1.8 percent yeah based on this value and i think if you've got confidence in what you're saying then by definition the customer's more likely to have confidence in that fee and your value held against that commission so i think you're right mate i think i don't think it's any more complex than demonstrating the value showing that you're worth it um and then just having the confidence to pitch it where i think you could go wrong is if you've been discounting yourself to the point where you're charging peanuts and pennies and you're not hosting viewings you're doing substandard photography you're not making any effort doing no socials you're basically just kind of being a middleman between the customer and right move, it's difficult to go from a thousand quid to 10,000 quid in your commission because if there's no improvement in the service, I think it's also important to understand that you are delivering that value and being able to demonstrate and show that value in the marketing, in the service, in the USPs of your business and how you operate as an agency owner, that then gives you true confidence that you are worth every penny that you're charging. And I really think that that comes across in every conversation that you have with every client in every appointment. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's a really good point. It's actually, you can actually fix that first, can't you? Like you say, and whichever direction you go, if you were charging £10,000, that client called you eight o'clock at night, you're going to pick up the phone. And naturally, if you're charging 500 quid and that person calls you on a Sunday, you are likely to roll your eyes and think, oh, you know, how do I end up in this position? So I, I, I think I definitely agree with that. I think it's important to actually get your business to the point where you are confident in it and that will come across 100% in your valuations. People just pick up on it, can't they? Yeah. And, and, and also the other interesting kind of way to look at this is supply and demand. So I always kind of think back to this is personal trainer that I used to listen to when I worked in fitness, really successful personal trainer. It was an online PT predominantly, but he used to be a successful in-person trainer. So he started off in a budget gym and he said, like, I knew that I didn't want a PT any more than, say, 30, 35 hours a week. I went in, used to charge 20 pounds an hour. That was it. Every client paid the same fee. Then all of a sudden I got to the point where my 35 hour weeks were booked up with pre-booked slots from existing clients. And I actually had a queue of seven people wanting to do business with me, but I couldn't give these seven people availability because the time just wasn't there in my week. So my options at that point were to loosen the boundaries on when I'll work, sacrifice my weekends, work until 9, 10, 11 o'clock every night to fit people in and start at 4, 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. Or I say, look, guys, my fees are going up from £20 to £30. The demand's too high. Existing clients, are you happy with that price? I'm happy to cement the slot for you. If he loses 10, 15, 20% of his clients, that's okay because there's a queue of people now waiting to take those seats. And actually, on balance, he'll be working the same amount, doing the same amount of hours, only for drastically more money at the end yeah. of the month when he factors yeah. in that marginal increase. So I think that's another way to, to look at it. You know, if you are looking to deal with 
as I say, five clients, 10 clients, 20 clients, however many properties you want to deal with based on the time that you want to invest into that business. If you're getting to the point where you're at capacity, that's a sign that you really need to think about nudging those fees up and getting paid more per hour based on the value that you've already demonstrated. But the, the, the trick there, I guess, is the fact that, you know, using the PT example, that individual had, had already had in their mind quite a set, um, a set limit of the amount of hours they wanted to work and an amount of money they wanted to earn, right? And therefore they were able to work backwards. Do I want to earn a thousand pound a week doing 35 hours a week or thousand pound a week doing 25 hours a week and have the capacity yeah. to take on more clients should I so wish? And so that's why, you know, I think that it's important that agents have some sort of target in their mind of what they want to earn. And then you can work backwards and work out how you want to go about earning that. So if you said... And, and then you can work out what's the most likely event as well. So if you said you want to earn £10,000 per month, then do you want to do that by selling three houses, five houses, or seven houses per month? Yeah. And which is the most likely? And then you can just divide it. If you want to do three, that's fine. Your average fee's now got to be three and a half grand. And if your average fee's got to be three and a half grand and you give away 500 quid on a fee now this morning, the next one you list, you've got to try and get four grand to get your average back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it just comes to that awareness of understanding the numbers in your business. And probably what the person who's asked that question has done is, is what everyone's done, myself included. You know, you, you set up and you're excited about getting instructions, getting a board up, the novelty of having your name up in lights, yep. um, as is the case, obviously, with the XP. Um, and they've not been focusing too much on the numbers and the financial sustainability of the business and whether or not it's going to work for them financially until you get to this point where you're forced to look into it. But I think it's good first off that that's been identified and clearly if it is that you're converting hand over fist and you're listing properties and selling properties and you're working a certain amount of hours and you're attracting more clients, I think really that's a sign that, okay, maybe we make some adjustments now and we actually yeah. kind of charge what we should be. So good on them for identifying it. And I think it's as simple as demonstrate the value and have the confidence in yourself to pitch that with complete confidence in the living room. And, and, and yeah, change overnight in my view as well. Don't, don't, if, if you've, if you've spotted that as something you need to fix in your business, it doesn't need to be done slowly and gradually. It can be done overnight. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. Okay. All right. Enjoyed that. Um, the, the next one, I, I was really pleased to see this next one because I really resonate with this and it's something I've given a lot of thought to. Um, so it's quite a brief question. It just says, I, I find it really hard to switch off from work. Any advice? Um, and I, you know, I'm sure you've been here as well, mate. I know for a fact that I have. So um, what's your first reaction to that, Ben? My first reaction to that would be that it is difficult sometimes. I mean, I, I put a post up a couple, well, whenever it was, a week or two ago um, about this exact topic in switching off because, you know, as much as quite rightly, you know, I, I broadcast the fact that as we've just been discussing, you choose your fees, you keep the majority of your commission, you decide the volume that you want to take on and the clients you want to work with. It's very, 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 very possible as long as the economics are dialed in properly to have a favorable work-life balance in this kind of business. As me and you have both experienced over the last year, we're both our own social proof, right? Yeah. Um, yet having said that, when it is your business and when it is your name up in lights and when you know, you're the kind of captain of your own ship, if you like, it's not really a job. It's very much a passion. It's a yeah. lifestyle. It's something that in a way is all encompassing. And I don't know about you, mate, but I find myself, you know, if I'm sat watching 
George Clark's Amazing Spaces at nine o'clock at night, I'll find my mind drifting. And I'm always thinking about a way to innovate, a way to develop, a way to add more value, a way to improve my business or further, um, you know, my position on the path toward achieving my goals. And I think that just comes naturally as a byproduct of having genuine passion and enthusiasm for what you do. So in terms of switching off, I think it's a difficult one because I think... Blurred line, isn't it? It's a blurred line. It really is, mate. It really, really is. Um, And I think that's a blessing and a disguise. I mean, you know, we're very, very lucky to do something that we don't perceive as being a job. It's not work because we're so passionate about what we're doing. But having said that, there has to be that line where that doesn't come at the detriment to your personal relationships, your time spent on passions outside of work or with family and children and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's an interesting one and it's a bit of a difficult one. As simple and as short as that question sounds, it's hard to answer in a one size fits all kind of way. What would your take be on it? Well, I think similar to the fee question, actually, I think it's about identifying it's it's about identifying how much time you need away from work in the first place. So you know, for me, you know, one thing that's, I remember the first year, I didn't have any time away from my business at all, really. Um, sort of almost, almost helped by the fact we had this pandemic, it sort of almost helped in a way because couldn't go out to restaurants, couldn't go out and play tennis anyway. So I might as well have just had my head down and, and, and been working. The kids were homeschooling. So I was seeing loads of the kids anyway, throughout the day when I'd make my tea, grab my lunch, whatever. So actually work-life balance was ironically easier in my first year then probably a lot of agents starting out now are going to experience because they're going to have all those other sort of factors pulling out of them and things so i think the one thing that i did that i'm really pleased about is um i put in i put in my weekly tennis which is i play tennis wednesday night only six till eight it's just a couple of hours but nothing gets in the way of that that's like an absolute that is non-negotiable non-negotiable yeah it's cemented into my diary Honestly, mate, someone could phone me with a two and a half million pound house and promise me a 2% fee, but I've got to go around Wednesday at six. And I would say, no, it's, we've absolutely made it like a rule that I go out and do that, which has done me good, you know? So I t- I t- it's like a lot of things, isn't it? It's like sometimes a weekend away can be better than a two week holiday. We don't always need bundles and bundles of time, but just that little moment to reset, get together with, you know, a load of blokes and play tennis that are all doing similar things to me and and trying to juggle home life, work life, et cetera, just does you good. It just does you good. And it, it is still, if you want to be fresh at work, it's important to get away from work occasionally, I think. Agreed. Um, so that, that was a really, really important thing. Um, another little thing I did as well, and I only did this about three or four months ago, but this has been great, is I just don't take my phone upstairs anymore. You know, so yeah, like you, if I'm sitting watching Netflix and I'm only half paying attention, I will scroll through LinkedIn, I will WhatsApp clients. But it was actually important to me that the phone didn't then follow me up to the bedroom because then that yeah. comes 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. So um, I now leave my phone downstairs every night when I go up to bed and I've bought a little alarm. Sounds like such a little thing, but I now don't even have the psychological thing of my phone being next to me in my bedroom, which means two things. It means... It means I'm not looking at my phone after a certain time of night. And it also means that the first thing I do when I wake up isn't turn my alarm off, check my emails. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> Just... I, I did the exact same thing for the exact same reason. Because I think sometimes when you wake up in, in the morning, you know, as soon as you pick up your phone and you start looking, there's a message, there's a notification, there's an update, something that is going to command your attention. And it almost gets your day off in a very reactive way. You're not, away, yeah. you, you're not working on your terms anymore. You're at the mercy of whoever it is that needs your attention on your device, whoever that might be, client, friend, family member, 
colleague, whoever. Um, so I think I've started charging my phone downstairs. My missus sets her alarm on her phone in the morning to wake us up. If not, Esme normally gets there first. But I don't, I don't wake up to my phone is what I'm saying. So I can get up, have a shower, brush my teeth, ponder around. And I might be awake for a good 30, 40, 50 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half sometimes before I'm even in the same room as what my phone is. Yeah. And it's quite sad, really, that I've got to distance myself from it to keep myself off it. But I think, let's just be real, it's an addiction for a lot of us. It's a big part of our lives. And I think sometimes if I see it flash or hear it ping, it's got my attention. That's very wrong, but it's important that you take ownership yourself of putting measures in place to distance yourself if it is that you need that downtime. Yeah. Same when I'm playing with the kids, mate. I was playing with Esme a couple of, well, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago. And uh, my phone was on the couch. We was playing around, playing with bricks on the carpet. I seen it ping and flash and straight away my attention went from what I was doing to my phone. Yeah, yeah. That's just not acceptable, mate. It's no, not agree. acceptable. Yeah, I agree. So, so yeah, I, I think it's good to capture it and identify it. So again, props to the person who's asked that question because clearly they've seen that that's something they need to work on. The focus is now on you to put the measures in place to create that distance if that's what you need. And I'm not sure there's any, I, I, I don't buy into the fact that there's necessarily any huge amount of value for your clients that you're available to quite that extent. You know, I mean, I've got a, I'm dealing with a guy at the moment who's a paramedic, right? So actually, yeah, if he wants to call me at half eight at night, I'm cool with that because he's a paramedic. He does a really important job and he's often not available during the day. But what will happen is if, if you show all your clients you're available between six and nine o'clock, you'll have yeah. what I had last year. I don't know if you've had it before where the phone don't ring all day until half past five. Mate, that, that's, Half past that's... five, it starts going nuts because everybody's established. That's cool. I don't need to take time out of work to call him because he's always available in the evening. Mate, that, that's, that's a really interesting point that I'm glad that you've raised because I think this, this comes down to a management of expectations. And everyone listening to this podcast can think back on a time where they've been in evaluation, they've been in an appointment, and it, it's very well intended, but they're keen to get the instruction and please the vendor, right? And they'll say, oh, you know, you can access me anytime. I work 24 seven. You've got my personal number. I respond yeah. to messages around the clock and it's well intended. And clearly you're trying to amplify the benefits of your service to close the business. I totally get it. But then in reality, are you open 24 seven? Well, no, if someone WhatsApps you at 3am, it's unlikely you're going to respond to that message. Do you want to be taking calls and qualifying viewers at half nine at night? Probably not. So I think if you said to a customer, look, within reason, you can contact me whenever. I will always come back to you. I typically work nine till five, nine till six, nine till seven, whatever your sort of defined hours are. It's not going to make a difference to that client. It's more about managing expectations and making sure that everyone's on the same page because it will drive you bonkers if you've got 10 clients who are continuously messaging you between 7 and 10 p.m. Yep, which is what, which is what will happen if that's a time that you show them you're available. Yeah. And, and I can't think of, you know, the, the reason I mention example of the paramedic is because I, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a degree of flexibility in your business and to help out somebody that does a difficult job with difficult hours. Of course, you know, I'm going to be flexible, but you just can't have 15 people in your life that all expect you to be available at that time. You know, and I had somebody chasing me to, to essentially gazump somebody on Sunday, you know, and, and message me four or five times Sunday morning between 10 and 11 saying, I really need to talk to you really must talk to you now. And I thought, Oh, that, no. that, 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 I know that definitely would have made you more motivated to jump on the phone. I hate <laughs> it when people do that. It's like, like look, if, if, if you still want it today and I know, I don't know why we do it. I don't know why estate agents show off. I, I did a deal at 10 o'clock tonight. I'm like, Honestly, mate, if they if they want to buy that house, they're committed to buying that house. They will still want to buy it at nine a.m. tomorrow morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. 
I, I don't care if people pull me on it and say, well, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. Absolute bollocks. That's how, that's how you sell an impulse buy. That, that's how you sell, you know, maybe a car or something like that or a lower value item. It's not how you sell a house. Got to do it in a rush and strike while the iron's hot. It's absolute garbage. So, yeah, I just don't buy into it. So um, I think, so, I, you know, tips that I wrote down would be to time block something social for yourself every week. I think it's really important, whether that be for time to be by yourself and go and do something like a sport or a hobby or something like that, or even you know, go time for a with walk. The family, go for a walk. Yeah. It doesn't matter as long as, as long as you get some time for yourself. I think that's really important. Um, you can actually time limit apps as well. Take half an hour to do it on your phone where you can stop your Facebook working over nine o'clock at night or limit the amount of time your Facebook works or your LinkedIn or I can turn off my WhatsApp. So you can actually spend half an hour or so on your phone limiting it because then you can still have your phone if you need it, but you won't be bothered by distractions that you choose you don't want. Um, and I think also just be honest with your clients and they will understand. You know, if you say to a client, look, I'm totally fine. Anytime up to seven o'clock, I'm available to chat. You know, after that, drop me a message and I'll call you back in the morning and people are fine. Yeah, people man. Do- and if you're working with, I think we, we've spoke about this before, where if you're working with the right people, they understand you're a human. You've got a family, you've got responsibilities. They don't begrudge you and expect you to be at the beck and call 24 seven. And there was no finer example of that than when I took a couple of weeks off to go to the Lake District the other month. And, uh, you know, I I was kind of thinking in my head, like, what do I say to my clients? Do I turn off and out of hours? Do I try and draft in another EXP agent to take my calls? And actually what I did was I just rang around all my clients and said, Hey, I hope you're keeping well, just a heads up that next week I'm going to be out of bounds. You're welcome to contact me if there's anything urgent, but anything you need to know, I'll update you on, but for all intents and purposes, I'm not here. And every single one of them was just like, yeah, crack on mate. You you deserve a, you know, you deserve (laughs) a a break, have a great time. And in my mind, that was going to be a bit of an issue an awkward conversation. But in reality, it was just like, have a lovely time then. We'll see you when you're back. Yep. Again, perceptions versus reality. And I've got nothing to add to that because that's my expectation was it wouldn't work like that. But I've done exactly what you've done. And people yeah. say, yeah, have a great time. Yeah, I message people back on a Saturday. I've messaged people back going, look, I'm not available to this afternoon. I'm completely hungover. I'll call you this afternoon, but you do not <laughs> want to talk to me now. And, but then people are normal. They'll just go, oh, brilliant. Yeah, funny enough. So are we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The amount of people yeah. that message back going, oh, that's all right. Yeah, so am I. We'll talk later. You know, people, I don't know why. I don't know why. We just we put on such a facade and it's not needed people love to see a human side so I, th- I think it's i think it's important to get time away from work i think it makes you fresher when you're at work you know there's Definitely. a reason no athlete trains 12 hours a day yeah it, there'd be no no advantage to usain bolt training for 12 hours a day would there there's there's an amount that's that's great and you can be fresh and up for it and at your best and then you can tip over that amount. And it's in, in a way, it's important for your clients. So you're at your freshest, isn't it? Which isn't working till 10 o'clock at night and then starting again the next day at 5 a.m. No, definitely, mate. You know, rest and recovery is as important as offensive work, right? It's just, um, you know, it's all part of the bigger picture. Sometimes you have to pause or take one step back to take two steps forward. Great. Um, so question number three, um, this was not from an EXP agent. So I did a little spell of time. In fact, I still do um, sometimes mega frequently, sometimes a bit less frequently, but I do an almost daily Q&A on Instagram stories. And one of the questions that I got asked quite a while ago now, but one that's always kind of stuck with me um, is from a chap who was interested in setting up his own business. 
Whether or not that was with us, I'm not too sure, but it's almost irrelevant, really. Um, but he was basically scared of what his friends might think, what his partner might say, what his employer may think of him because he had, you know, all these kinds of fears and insecurities around how he might look if it was that he fails or whether or not people would think that he's not capable of running his own agency. And it was almost the perceptions of what other people could think that were holding him back from taking action, which I think is a really sad thing, but also a reality that a lot of people go through. And those are demons that a lot of people battle before they put their head above the parapet and open up a conversation with someone like you or I, Scott. Yep. So I don't know what your take is on that. I've definitely got my own thoughts when it comes to kind of fear and letting perceptions of other people hold you back. Where would you steer that? It's an interesting question um, because I... I've, I've always thought of myself as a bit of a risk taker. You know, I've started businesses. I've, I've, I've started small recruitment businesses all, all from the cabin. Um, I had a limo company for a while. Um, and I had no, no issue with risking the money or the finance because I was confident I'd done my calculations, had good business plans, right? So I've always thought of myself as a risk taker. Yeah, something for nearly 20 years stopped me pursuing my prime goal, which was to open up my own estate agency business. And I don't know for sure, but I've always wondered if it was because I could hide behind the other businesses because, you know, my, my, my recruitment company is called Guide Recruitment. My limo business was called Kent Party Bus. So I was able to hide behind the success of those. And also, there's no real way from the outside looking in to see how successful a limo business is or how successful a recruitment business is. Whereas... It, it, you're, you're very much on a stage as an estate agent, aren't you? You've got your name up locally. People can quite clearly see how many houses you're selling they can see if your boards are up everywhere they're going to see if they've got sold on or for sale um so you do put yourself out there a lot more as an estate agent than than many other businesses that i can think of so i i think i personally was held back by that fear not a failure of the business but of people being able to see that it was quite clearly me and the failure of the business it wasn't losing the money it was probably the the damage to my confidence and, and ego, I think. So yeah, I, I, I relate to that question. Um, albeit I bit the bullet in the end and have now regretted the sort of lost 15 years really. Yeah. Um, what about you, mate? Yeah, I completely get it. And it's something that I was going to say, it's something that comes up a lot. It's not something that people bring to the, the forefront a lot, but I think it's more common than what people would have you believe, because I kind of feel as though, I don't know whether it's trying to save face or pride or ego or, or or whatever it is we don't like to admit that we're scared of what other people think of us or that we have some kind of doubt in our own ability to be a success but whilst we don't like to admit to that openly and outwardly i think that imposter syndrome almost i think it kind of affects everyone in one way shape or form and frankly i think for the most part if anyone was to say that they didn't feel those insecurities or those niggles and have those fears, I think more often than not, they're going to be lying. You know, I think we've all gone through that at some point. I've used this example before, but I remember when I set up my first agency at the time, I was, um, this was back in 2012 and I was lodging with a friend. And um, this was a guy that, you know, I was really close with, we was best mates. He was a bit older than me, kind of like a big brother type figure, but we was best mates kind of going through my later teenage years into my early twenties. 
And um, I was in my bedroom in, in the house and I'd sit on my laptop working on a business plan and sort of drafting up how this business was going to look. And when I heard him coming up the stairs, I just slammed my computer shut and like pretend that I wasn't doing it because it was almost like if he was like, oh, what are you doing? And I was to say, oh, I'm planning a business that I'm going to launch. It'd be kind of like, what? You've only worked in the industry two years. You're only 22 years old. What, what qualifies you or makes you think that you're able to go ahead and, and sort of you know, embark on that task. And and he would have been right, maybe at that age, at that time with that experience, you know, you could argue that I was biting off more than I could chew, but I just had this urge to go ahead and do it. But that doesn't mean that I was stopped in, I wasn't stopped in my tracks by what other people may think. So I think the first thing I'd say is understand that everyone goes through that, but also understand that your perception of what other people may think or the judgment they may have on you is completely magnified and exaggerated versus the reality of what it would be. That's true. Um, I honestly think that more often than not, people are willing you to do well. They want you to succeed. They want you to go ahead and achieve your goals. And if you fall short, people will always have respect for you for trying it. They're not going to laugh at you because you did your best and it didn't work out. So I think there's definitely a reframe, which I understand is very easy for me to say on a podcast, not as easy in reality, but I think the point still stands that you need to not let your perceptions of what other people think suppress you from fulfilling your full potential and going ahead and chasing your dreams and achieving your goals. Uh, We all know how quick time goes. You don't want to be looking back in 10, 15, 20 years thinking, what if? For me, that's the biggest tragedy. Yeah, and that's how I feel now is that I feel like I've lost time (laughs) through through that fear. So I'd urge anybody that's that's at the stage, I mean, it's difficult with fear because I always say, I think it's a balance Have fun enough. I think that having that fear of what people think is you don't want that to stop you from giving something a go, but you can use it as a motivator, as a not, motivator. Not a yeah. Super, yeah but not in like that negative, like Alan Partridge type. I showed them motivator, right? You know, the needless to say, I had the last laugh type approach, but you know, if I, the silly example I use is that if I was in a trench next to someone in the world war, and we were going to go over the top, I'd want them to be a bit nervous. <laughs> you know, if they're next to me, I don't want to be next to, I don't want to be next to the one absolutely quaking in their boots. And I also don't want to be next to the one that's going, hell yeah, I can't wait to go over the top. I'd be like, yeah, I want someone right in the middle, please. On I a want level. someone a little bit on edge about what we're about to do because it can keep you sharp. And I think that having some nerves is probably a good thing. And, and you know, because we talk to agents all the time and you can look back through your WhatsApp messages, can't you? And some of the messages now, I've got agents that are messaging me going, wow, look, I can't believe how, you know, what a month I've had and things like that. And I've done it before with, with agents like Jane uh, Whitfield and a couple of others where I then scroll back to our original conversations and they're talking about their nerves. Have you ever done that? It's quite 100%, interesting. Yeah, 100%, like- 100%. I was talking to Matt Life, uh, a guy in Derby who is someone that I partnered with a little while ago. And uh, I was talking to him for probably the best part of half a year. But what if this and what if that and questions about this and that. And, you know, it's we all go through it. But now it's all right saying this. He's come in, made a success, sold properties. He's helping other people grow their businesses. And you look back and think, wow, what was I so scared of? But in that moment, it's very real. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that's totally cool. And I think you should expect it. I think you should embrace it. And I think you should use it as a motivator. As for... When, when you're thinking, I wonder what people will think, you know, maybe a tip is then is write down 10 people who are going to give you a reaction to starting a business. And then out of those 10 people, choose the three people who, who you would swap places with. 
I, I remember when I was thinking about starting, I spoke to loads of people who said, oh, you know, including my dad, you know, I love my dad, but he's like, my, he's my, my just worries about everything I do. Um, but I remember being in, I was in Costa and a bloke behind me is this diamond dealer that I know locally. He's a guy called Neil. And I told him all about the business and he's just, he's just a cool guy, right? I mean, he literally sells diamonds to celebrities. He's like got this really cool job. And I remember telling him about it and he's like, oh man, how cool. Like, I'm so jealous of you going out to start a business from day one. Like I love mine, but I wish I could go back to the early days. And I just remember thinking, yeah, this is who I should be talking to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, 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 that is an interesting point. And I know it's been said a few times now, but why would you take advice from somebody that you wouldn't trade places with? I mean, if you was going on a weight loss journey would you take dietary advice from someone who was 15 stone overweight probably not you know if you was taking financial advice would you want to speak to someone who's been declared bankrupt probably not you know it's important that you speak to the right people and you get a realistic gauge because going to extremes although your dad's advice is very well intended you know he could easily talk you out of taking action because he's from a different generation with a different vantage point that's maybe not quite applicable or appropriate for the world that you live in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's really important as well. And, and also what I'd say is that if somebody isn't wishing you well, or if somebody doesn't want you to go ahead and succeed, or they're trying to suppress your potential, that's a good filter. Why would you want someone like that in your life is, is my question. You know, your boss that you work for at the moment, how can, and this is what I don't get, how could any employer begrudge or hold any kind of resentment or ill feeling toward an employee wanting to spread their wings and build a business? Because yeah. that's exactly what they did five or 10 that's or right. 15, yeah. 20 years ago. You know, so they had that entrepreneurial itch that needed scratching, if you like. They scratched it. They've built a business. That's the reason why you work for them to help them build their dreams and build their empire. How could they resent you going ahead and and doing the same? Um, So I think, you know, context is really important when it comes to fear. And those people that want to see you do well, those people who you need in your life will help you and support you and encourage you. They're not going to suppress you and, you know, be all doom and gloom and laugh at you if things don't quite work out. And you'll have other people come from nowhere, won't you? Sorry, mate. You'll have other people come out of nowhere as well. people that you forgot about people that hadn't paid any attention to you in the past will suddenly come out of nowhere and want to know about your business and want to support you. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And this leads on, we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but this is not like us. (laughs) The support of friends, the reason just to frame this, the reason why um, I bring this up is because I was chatting to an agent about their fees last week. And I was like, so where's your fee structure at? He's like, oh, I charge X percent. Okay. And this person's in a market where it's not necessarily higher value. So I asked, what is your subject and minimum fee of commission? And it gave me two figures. One was lower than the other. And the one that was lower was reserved for friends and family. And it just always makes me think friends and family should be paying a premium. If your minimum fee is two and a half grand, I'd want to charge my mum or dad three, three and a half grand, four grand, because they're getting the service, they're getting the result, they're getting the property sold, but they also get the added benefit and the bonus of supporting their son or their friend or their nephew or their cousin or insert relationship here do well. So why would you discount, decredit your service, lower your value to still put the same amount of work, attention and effort and hustle into getting that result? Yep. For, for a lesser fee, I just always think friends and family rates are always perceived as a discount. Friends and family rates should be an elevated fee, not a reduced yeah. fee. Yeah, agreed. I think I, I think that comes back to estate agents generally not not really valuing themselves at what they're charging. 
I think it goes back to working for a corporate and charging four or five grand fees. And deep down, you don't really believe that you're worth that. Yeah. Whereas what you've got to realize when you make the switch and go out there yourself is, trust me, that person is going to get their pounds, shillings and pence worth of value out of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed, mate. And um, the final question is, well, it's not really a question. It's just an observation of the most common questions that I've get put forward to me through social media. It's always around brown building and tips around video. And, you know, I I understand that we've touched on this at various points over the last six months or so. But again, if something's worth saying, it can't be said enough. And I think that building a quote unquote brand and embracing video is something that feels very scary to people and understandably so because it's new, it's different. They've never had the spotlight on them in the past if they've been employed in a professional capacity. So anything that's new is scary by definition until you've done it and it's not scary anymore. So I thought it was worth taking a few minutes just to kind of talk through this whole topic of putting yourself on the line, embracing video and kind of giving people access into who you are and what you do. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So is this more, do you think this is more videos in the sort of thing that you might post to promote your business and your brand rather than like a property tour type thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not even sure those two things are too mutually exclusive because if you're promoting a property, I think it's still a reflection on who you are and your ability and your business. But I think, and rightly or wrongly, people tend to put video in the category of brand building. So just to make a distinction here, video is a tool that you can use to get your message across and to educate people on who you are and how you work. It's a very good tool that I think should be leveraged, but that's not the be all and end all of your personal brand. Your brand is your reputation. It's how you treat the taxi driver when you jump out of your Uber. It's how you speak to the cashier at Morrison's. It's how you look after your customers, how quickly you return calls. All of these things play into the brand of Scott Gunn or Ben Moore or whoever you are listening. Um, So I think that's important, but yeah, video tends to be where people come up against a bit of a glass ceiling and they really struggle to overcome the obstacle and that fear of getting on camera and putting content out there with any kind of consistency. Um, You're someone who's absolutely blown up on video recently, mate. If you don't mind me saying your, you know, your ability, your frequency, the way you come across has come on absolute leaps and bounds. So I'd be really interested to hear your take on this. Um, Oh, thank you. Um, It it never feels like that actually. Um, So I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think, I dived headfirst into video because I hadn't, I'd never really done it before and people kept pushing me and eventually my conversation was right. I'm just going to do a video now because if I don't do it, I won't do it. So I think the, like, like the first sit up is the hardest, not the last, the same with video, right? Posting the first video is, is the hardest. Um, so I'd urge anybody just to dive in, just do anything. I'm not even, I wouldn't even worry too much what your first video is. Just get something of you out there nice brief 30 second video of you introducing your business or yourself post it and then immediately you're going to feel a bit more comfortable doing video um i remember the tip i was given was i think it was i think i think it was terry wogan that said it he's an old presenter ben you won't remember terry wogan (laughs) i remember terry wogan (laughs) (laughs) but he, he said that um when he did radio, he used to imagine that he was talking to one person. Because if you try and imagine you're talking to 2 million people, it, it's very difficult to be yourself whilst talking to 2 million people. Whereas if you talk to one person, that's something that you're going to be a lot more comfortable doing. It's something you do most of your conversations you've had in your life with, with one person. So um, it probably sounds a bit silly, but I, I, I sort of I look at the camera and if I'm explaining something, I just I always pretend I'm talking to my friend Malcolm. Just always imagine I'm talking to Malcolm and it just 
tends to make me sound a little bit more relaxed, I think. Yeah, than... do you know what? It's a really good way of putting it, mate, because even as relaxed as we are after this conversation now, we're relaxed because we're in a comfortable environment. I'm speaking to you and you're speaking to me. Now, we know that when we publish this, we get X amount of hundreds of downloads of people listening to it. If we was on a stage with those hundreds of people in the audience looking at us, yeah. the dynamic would be very different, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's absolutely. just exactly what you've just said. So I think that's a really good way of framing it. Because oddly, you want, uh, and anybody listening to this is likely on their own listening to it as well. So it just makes your conversation between that person and and you. And I just think it's it's quite a nice way to just relax a little bit and not try and appeal to too many people as well. Because you're not trying to appeal to everybody when you do a video. Just trying to appeal to a handful of people that find that particular message interesting. Yeah, I think. And I think it's. Um... The other important point when it comes to kind of embracing video is don't get paralysis by analysis in terms of like looking at what everyone else is doing. Maybe you've been doing it for months or years before and thinking, well, mine won't look that great. I can't edit a video like that. That delivery was very polished. And by comparison, you feel as though you're going to be substandard. I think like you quite rightly said, the hardest step is always going to be the first with almost anything in life and video certainly no different. So I think just lower that barrier to entry, realize that the tool that you need or the equipment that you need is the extent of your mobile phone, which yep. presumably we've all got. Um, don't worry about getting in a production company and a professional videographer and having it pieced together with nice transitions and fancy effects. Just get on the camera and start talking. And I give this advice like that's what I do. But funnily enough, I'm focusing more on my YouTube channel at the moment, which is something that I've neglected over the years. I've not put anywhere near as much focus as what I should have. And I'm looking at other people now in the YouTube world and thinking, oh, well, I've got this great idea for a video, but I'll just wait until I can get a backdrop that looks as nice as that. Or I've got a neon light that... And the same thing this week, mate. I've done the same, I've done the same thing with something I've been putting together where I've then... so. I, I thought, oh, right, do people do thumbnails at the beginning of their videos? I know. I'll have a look at what Joe Rogan and Gary Vay do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who, you know, I'll think about going to knock up, going to have a knock, going to go play football at the park with my boy. Let's have a look at what Ronaldo does when he plays football. I mean, like, who on earth am I comparing myself to? I've got to set myself up now like Joe Rogan and Gary Vay. Yeah. Like, and, 100%. And, and that's but, why I haven't had a YouTube That's exactly why I haven't had a YouTube channel up for the last six months. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of having one going that's now six months established, I haven't got my channel going because I'm comparing myself to two of the biggest YouTubers on the planet. 100%. How foolish. You, you've just completely overcomplicated it. And like I say, yeah. the same situation here. So it's not, it's not me preaching. It's just an observation in terms of how I act, how you act, and how probably everyone listening to this has acted at some point. And and I know that people have messaged me in the past saying I can never do a property tour like that. And because they're looking at the ones that we've done with Michael, which, which by the way, is more of a reflection on Michael's ability to piece together a video rather than my ability to be on there. It's not as great in reality as what he makes it look in the final cut. But getting started is the first step. And then yeah. that goes to the second and the third and the fourth. And, um, you know, like anything, it's like a muscle, right? You get better with time and confidence. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Sweet, right, mate. Well, um, unless there's anything else that you wanted to bolt on, I think that was a nice little, nice little pod. Four I questions so. covered. Yeah, uh, and so anyone who's still listening, <laughs> um, any questions you can think of, anyone internal knows how to get in touch with Ben and I, but anyone external always drop a message on LinkedIn. Like we we are keen to hear what people would like to hear us discussing. Um, so if you think of any questions, we're very happy to address them. That's for sure. One hundred percent, and. Just 
something else to bolt on, which we should do more of and we never, ever, ever do. But if you listen to these podcasts, if you've got value from today's episode or any of the other shows that you might tune into, please, if you've got the ability to do so, um, leave a review if the platform allows, providing it's a five-star review, any less than don't. Um, And if you've not got the ability to review for whatever reason, please just, you know, share, tag us on social media, put it on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, share it with colleagues, friends, family, whoever you feel may get value and help us spread the word. It'd be much appreciated. Yes, please. Yeah. Spot on. Right, Scott. Well, I'll catch you next time, mate. Yeah. All right, Ben. See you soon. Adios.